Are you eager to delve into the world of rare diseases? Are you a dedicated caretaker supporting a loved one with a rare disease or perhaps a rare disease patient yourself? Then the One of 20 podcasts hosted by Jonathan Cappiello is for you. Jonathan is one of only 20 nano rare patients with his condition, but he founded his podcast with a seat at the table for everyone. From trailblazing activists to empowering caregivers and resilient warriors fighting daily battles, each guest brings a story that deserves to be shared. Join Jonathan and his special guests every other week as they dive deep into their personal experiences and battles. Discover their triumphs, how they navigate their challenges, and embrace the valuable lessons they've learned from their experiences. Whether you seek guidance on navigating rare diseases or you love engaging stories, the One of 20 podcast is a rare find with content for everyone. Each episode offers a world of inspiration, purpose, and passion. So why wait? Embark on a journey of rare connections and shared experiences by subscribing and listening on your favorite platform and become a part of the One of 20 podcast growing community. Welcome to the Enlorn podcast series, a series that focuses exclusively on patients now referred to as having nanorare mutations. I'm Stan Crook, and I'm the founder, chairman, and CEO of Enlorm. Enlorm is a nonprofit foundation that I initiated in January of 2020. Our mission at Enlorm is to take advantage of the technology we created at Ionis Pharmaceuticals, Anisense Technology, or ASO Technology, to discover, develop, and provide experimental ASO treatments to nanorail patients, and to do that for free for life. Today we're continuing our complex journey through the most complex of organs, the liver. Last time I summarized for you that the liver is a big waste treatment plant and it's a big manufacturing plant, but it makes other things other than fats and proteins. It also makes small chemicals. The liver makes and secretes tens of thousands of small chemical molecules that would be far, far too many for me to describe for you. And these chemical molecules typically are going out into periphery to stimulate other organs to do things. They're signals. You can think of also, I guess, the liver as a central communication device that goes on without your thinking about it every day. Just to give you some classes of these chemicals. The liver makes and stores an amazing amount of energy. And it has a robust system that includes the ability to make energy and use energy if there's little oxygen. It also has a robust system to make and use energy if there's a lot of oxygen. The anaerobic or lack of oxygen metabolic energy system is called glycolysis. We talked about that earlier in the energy of life. And the aerobic or oxygen mediated energy process is called oxidative phosphorylation or the Krebs cycle. All your cells have a special organelle actually derived from bacteria long many, many billions of years ago or millions of years ago. That's called the mitochondrion. You have scads of mitochondria in every one of your cells, but especially in your liver. And those are the things that make energy for you using an oxidation process that depends on oxygen. The liver is busy taking sugars, as, as you'll remember, and fats and converting them to energy. In the developed world today, starvation is rare. In the undeveloped world, starvation is still tragically very common. But in our past, there were periods of starvation every year. 
as temperature got too hot or you didn't find an animal to, to kill or what have you. And so you must have a system that protects you from starvation. That's another job the liver does. It is your primary protection against starvation. And it does that by storing sugars and fats, the main sources of energy. So it has a whole set of systems that allow it either to store glucose, remember that's the sugar you use to make energy, or to break it down. It also has another set of processes that allow it to store fats or break them down. It makes sense, really, that the liver would be your most protective organ, busy protecting you from starvation, because it's the first organ encountered by food. If you eat, the liver sees it. If you're failing to eat, the liver sees that too. And so naturally, it should be the place that senses what your nutritional status is and responds to it. That's all great, but what if you eat too much sugar? Well, the liver stores it as much as it can. It fills up the liver with things, stored sugar, which remember I told you was glycogen. And eventually, it can't store anymore. So what happens then? Well, you get extra glucose in your blood, and what's that called? Diabetes. If you see someone with type 2 diabetes, it's someone who may have eaten so much sugar that the liver has been able to store the sugar sufficiently to protect you from having your glucose go above really a very tightly controlled limit of about 100 milligrams per deciliter. The other thing the liver stores is fats because they are great sources of energy. If you eat too much fat and the liver stores it, what happens? Well, the liver gets fatty and that's called fatty liver. (laughs) And everyone's worried about obesity and one of the things that really troubles you about obesity is you get fatty liver well what's the problem with fatty liver well fatty liver is not healthy and eventually it can lead to much greater liver cell death and eventually the liver dies and is replaced by scar tissue what's that called cirrhosis if you have a big fatty liver one of the things that can happen is the liver will die and you end up with cirrhosis and we'll come back and talk about that in a little while if you have a glycogen storage disease that is you're storing sugar in the wrong way you got too much of it that can also cause disease when you're obese not only do you get fat everywhere but you get fat in your liver and that can lead to all kinds of problems. But, of course, that also leads to what? Diabetes. Type 2 diabetes. It also leads to a slew of other problems that destroy your cardiovascular system, among other things. The liver is your protection against your overindulgence, just as it's your protection against starvation. Like every other organ, like every other thing in life, it has limits. And if you exceed those limits, then you're going to get unhealthy. The real problem with obesity is it stimulates the immune system. And chronic systemic inflammation, meaning instead of getting an inflammatory response when you need it, it's going on constantly throughout your body. That accounts for about 50% of the developed world death. All the cardiovascular disease, all the diabetes, everything you can think about is really an inflammatory response that's unchecked, that goes on for years due to things like obesity. In addition to eating too much fat, 
sugar. The liver also, remember, metabolizes proteins to amino acids. And when there's a great deal of fat and other stuff that the liver can't handle, it also makes a variety of toxins that you've heard about, like TNF, that cause cells to die. And it's a part of this inflammatory response. You've heard the term cachexia. Cachexia means just wasting. It means that no matter what you eat, you're not able to keep up with the fact that something in your body is telling you to to kill your cells. Cachexia just means you have more cells dying than you're making. When someone is dying of cancer or practically of anything else, you'll see them waste away, and that wasting away is called cachexia. And all it means is that there are factors that are being liberated often by the liver and other cells that cause more cells to die than you can replace. In cancer, of course, those cells that are being caused to die are used by the cancer cells to grow. And so you can think of cancer as just a cellular sociopathic disease. It's a set of cells without a social conscience taking over your body like a zombie, and using your own cells to grow them into a dominant position. It is appropriate to be concerned about good nutrition. But good nutrition can come in a large number of forms. But what you'd like to do as much as you can is be as fit as possible throughout your life because it's healthier and it's going to make you happier and it's going to give you a more productive life throughout your life. The metabolic processes of the liver are unbelievably complex, (laughs) and I've just scratched the surface, and I know I've probably caused you to scratch your head. I guess the main point I want to give you is you should love your liver, and you should treat it with great deference, because if you don't, it can get in trouble, and then you will be in trouble. Liver also manages other things, like iron. The difference between so-called metallic iron and iron in your body, I'm amazed at how few people know this, but metallic iron is just iron molecules organized in a lattice work and they're protected in that lattice work and that's why metallic iron is so inert that's why you use iron to make steel and other things the iron in your body is not metallic it's not organized in these lattice works it's free molecules of iron and it is certainly one of the most important metals in your body why why is iron so important it's because it's reactive under normal body circumstances. Nothing magic is just very reactive, and it can be like other chemicals. Really, what chemicals do, they get oxidized or reduced. And in that process of oxidation or reduction, little high-energy projectiles, bullets, you can think of them as chemical bullets, are produced. And those chemical bullets can do good things for you, or they can damage you in all kinds of ways. And so if you have this machine called iron in your body that's capable of shooting you to death with chemical bullets, what would you do? You'd say, I want to really have just exactly the right amount of iron everywhere. Those chemical bullets are called free radicals. And it's like most things in science. It means what it says. They're free and they are radical. They are real radical movers who really want to start a riot, and they do. Again... Think of iron as your AK-47, and you'd rather pull the trigger when you want, and so you try to control where your iron is, what it does, how much you have of it. Who does that for you? The liver. Liver makes proteins and small molecules that regulate the amount of iron in your blood. That's really the key. If you have too little iron, 
What happens? You can't make blood, you get anemia. If you have too much blood, that's really not good for you. Or if you have too much iron, that's not good for you. The liver manages iron. It makes proteins that either reduce or lower iron in the blood. And when it is unable to manage the iron that you have, that's a disease. And that's called hemochromatosis. Heme, iron, and chromatosis, because iron's red. And so you accumulate a bunch of iron in your liver, and that's tremendously toxic to your liver. You also accumulate iron everywhere else. That's toxic to everywhere else. And you also make too much blood, and as a consequence, you have, you have your blood removed frequently because otherwise you have so much hemoglobin and whatnot in your blood that your blood sludges and causes things that sort of sound like sickle cell anemia syndromes. So the liver also is involved with the gut microbiome. The liver and the gut are linked, part of the same system. The liver, as you know, processes nutrients from the gut and secretes a great many chemicals into the gut. In the GI tract of all mammals, including humans, there are microbes of various types. They vary depending on where you are in the GI tract, what different organisms are there, because the conditions in the GI tract vary along that long tube that you call the GI tract. Many of these have become symbiotic. That is, they help metabolize things, make things that make you healthy. You have a gut microbiome that matters because over evolution, those organisms find it of useful to themselves to ensure that their host lives better. And you find that very helpful because they help you live better. Symbiosis. But the gut microbiome can be changed. And once again, what's the first sensor for it? The liver. Because it's going to see the products that come from the gut microbiome. If you take a broad-spectrum antibiotic, what happens? You change your gut microbiome and you can get sick, you can have diarrhea, and you can have other troubles. If you get a different kind of infection, you can have dysentery, you can have a thousand other things that disrupt the gut microbiome. And again, the liver is busy sensing that and trying to help out. I mentioned liver and starvation. I haven't mentioned liver and appetite. (laughs) You may think you're in control of your appetite, and to some extent you are, but when you're hungry, different Hormones are secreted in the gut and by the liver and by the brain that say, hey, time to eat. Some of those are called gastrin and that sort of thing. There are other hormones that are secreted by the liver, always the liver, and these are proteins like GLP-1 that tells you, hey, you're full and you shouldn't eat anymore. And so you have a lot of chemical signals going on in your body telling you to eat, no need. And then, of course, you, you can override all that and just become a glutton or choose to starve yourself but that's an act of will. What happens without an act of will is going on all the time too. These GLP-1 agonists, which are the new raging diet pills, are just taking something that you make naturally and upping the dose, putting it in a pill and giving it to you. Nothing more than that. If these hormones are made in various places, including the liver and the gut and the brain, and they are absorbed from the gut, where do they go? Well, of course they go to the liver. And so the liver is not just making things that help you manage your appetite. It's also sensing things that help manage your appetite. I mean, the liver just does a lot of other things. The liver works in collaboration with the gut. In the gut are a ton of different kinds of bacteria that are good for you. And that's the gut microbiome. And so you want to manage your gut microbiome and not, you know, distort it. Now, sometimes you have to. If you've got a bad infection, you need to take a broad-spectrum antibiotic. But 
most of the time, you'd rather not. The liver not only is key to your management of starvation, it is also key to the management of what you eat, when you eat it, and how you eat it, and why you eat it. And all of this you can think of as a means of survival. Next, liver and glucose. I know know this is complex, but think of what the liver is doing here. I'm just trying to tell you the high level of stuff. The liver changes the glucose in your blood. You know that it's vital for you to keep your glucose roughly around 100. And if you don't, bad things happen to you. So the liver here collaborates with the gut, and it also collaborates with another organ called the pancreas. And in the pancreas, there are two types of cells, alpha and beta. The beta cells stimulate or produce insulin. The alpha cells, glucagon, two sides of a coin that either stimulate more glucose to be in blood or more glucose to be stored. So you've got the liver, it's in the center here. It's got the gut, you got the brain, and you got the pancreas, all engaged in helping you manage to keep your sugar levels at around 100 in blood. And how do they do it? They make different chemicals that stimulate organs to do what they want them to do. So the liver stores glucose, you know that already. It stores it in the form of glycogen. The purpose of that is to have a source of glucose ready and available to you when you need to metabolize it to make energy. How do you decide whether to make more glycogen or degrade a glucagon? The pancreas tells you what to do. The alpha cells of the pancreas send you this hormone called glycogen, while it says store sugar. Or the beta cells in the pancreas make insulin, which tells you to grade glycogen so that you can make more sugar. So you're managing your sugar levels with those two chemicals. Obesity makes glucose management vast harder. First of all, one of the problems is the liver's full of fat. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't have enough space to store glycogen. And more importantly, it's damaged. If it has a lot of fat, it's already being damaged. And so it really can't do its, any part of its job that well. It also disrupts, that is being fat, disrupts the glucagon-insulin regulatory balance. And you start making more insulin. And so you get ever higher glucose levels. In addition, fat cells store lipids. That's why you have fat, to store these sources of energy for you for when you starve. That's why an animal that tends to hibernate will have a lot of fat, because that fat is used during hibernation when they're not getting any nutrients. All of these things work together, and all of them have an effect on glucose levels in the blood. If you are obese or you have type 2 diabetes for other reasons, your beta cells are making insulin constantly and they wear out. And when that happens, you move from what is an insulin-independent diabetes to insulin-dependent. That is, to survive, you must take insulin. In the case of glucose management, the liver is not the master. The master is really the pancreas, but the liver is the main implementer. It's listening to what the pancreas tells us to do in either making more sugar for the blood, or storing more sugar in the form of glycogen. And Lorem is a nonprofit committed to discovering and providing personalized experimental treatments for free, for life, to patients with genetic diseases that affect 1 to 30 patients worldwide, referred to by Enlorem as NanoRare. Many of these patients progress and die without ever achieving a diagnosis. This is where Enlorem comes in. They do the impossible by providing hope and for those that they can help, free lifetime treatment. 
For more information about Enlorem or today's episode, visit enlorem.org. Any questions can be sent into podcast at enlorem.org. Search Enlorem on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook to connect with us. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This truly helps us climb the charts and allows others to find the show. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Stan Crook. Our videographer is John Magnuson of Mighty One Productions. Our producers are John Magnuson and Kira Deneen of DNA Today. Thank you for listening.